0: Go ahead and turn turning your bibles to 2 Corinthians chapter 4 we're in a series on resting right now really rest and worship but we're focusing for the next couple of weeks on actually resting uh, because that is an important thing for us uh, not just as believers but as human beings it's hard 2 Corinthians, rather, chapter 4, starting at verse 7. But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed. Perplexed, but not driven to despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Struck down, but not destroyed. Always carrying in the body of death of Jesus... In the body, the death of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. For we who live are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake, so that the life of Jesus may also may be manifested in our mortal flesh. So death is at work in us, but life in you. Let's pray one more time. Oh, make your word a swift word, passing from the ear to the heart from the heart to the lip in conversation, that as the rain returns not empty, so neither may your word, but accomplish that for which it is given. Amen. Well, a thousand years from now, uh, archaeologists are going to be digging through our landfills and in, in one strata of, of refuse, they're going to find that uh, this roughly corresponds to the decade of the 1980s. They're going to find uh, an entire strata of millions of undegraded styrofoam clamshell containers, uh, roughly the size of a burger. Um, and they're going to they're gonna come in a variety of sizes, and they're all going to have these mysterious. Hieroglyphic markings on the exteriors of them that they'll puzzle over uh, for 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 years, and and many uh, academic papers will be written about uh, the meaning and origins of these mysterious containers. And um, one, uh, the most rare of these, this is my prediction: the most rare of these archaeological finds are going to be the styrofoam container that that is connected, but it looks like it has two separate compartments in it and the hieroglyphs as best as they can tell on the exterior of it will will be translated something like mcdlt Uh, and if if you grew up in the 80s you know what a mcdlt is and it had this thing that it kept the cold side cold the lettuce and tomato cold and the burger warm Uh, it was genius um the jars of clay Paul is talking about are, are kind of like those styrofoam burger boxes of the 80s. And I guess they're still around, but they were everywhere. And if, and if there were fast food joints uh, in the first century Palestine, they would, they would dish up food in these jars of clay they were they were items of they were items of convenience and practicality and unlike their the permanent non biodegradable things that that we use and put in the ground uh, the jars of clay were fragile and in some of their applications like fragility was part of the equation it was part of their appeal because you could easily get into them uh, and they were so cheap they could just be made you could just break them and not think a thing about them but the focus. On the rest of this passage comes from focusing not so much on our insufficiency, but on the sufficiency of God. However, our insufficiency, our imperfection, serves a purpose in the passage this morning. It serves a purpose to bring out, to highlight, to make plain the perfection of God's power And at the the heart of the gospel really, truly is our dependence, uh, our dependence upon Christ to provide everything we need, not just for our justification, but for the sanctification and glorification as well. It's, there's, there's great rest in recognizing our dependence that God's power doesn't come from our power. That God's ability is not dependent upon our ability. That God's will is not contingent upon our will. That God's work is not enabled by our work. But that we are limited by our human weakness. That's true, but we can rest in God's perfect power. So let's look at rest from this passage in, you guessed it, three ways. Resting in the truth of our limitations, resting in the preserving strength of God's power, and then resting in the life-giving power of Christ. Resting in the truth of our limitations, resting in the preserving strength of God's power, and resting in the life-giving power of Christ. First, the the truth of our limitations and how we rest in that, um, in, in, in Matthew 11, Jesus uh, is going about and he is teaching, but he is, he is in particular, pronouncing woes. Uh, he is saying, woe to you, city, this city, woe to you, that city. And he's pronouncing these woes against cities where he had gone in and preached the good news of the kingdom of God and performed signs and wonders, and the people had not believed. <laughs> They they rejected him, where his ministry had seemingly been a failure. Now, just think about that for a second. This is sort of a sidebar. Jesus had ministry that, by all outside appearances, was a failure. Does that make you feel better as a parent? <laughs> it ought to. Does that make you feel better as a servant in the church? Does that make you feel better as a as a servant to those around you. Like, Jesus experienced that, that pain. But he pronounces curses like, it's, it's going to be better for Sodom than it is for you on the day of judgment. Like, these are serious curses. But, but then he does something strange, like really strange. He prays and he thanks God for his seemingly failed ministry. And in Matthew eleven twenty five, 25, he says, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and understanding and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for such was your gracious will. And then after he prays that prayer, he invites a particular group of people to come to him. And in verse 28, he says this, Come to me. All of you who are weary and who are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Jesus has always appealed to those who need rest the most because they feel the burden of their weakness. Jesus will never be rejected by one who has seen the reality of his neediness. But he's rejected all the time by people who don't think they're needy, who don't think they're weak, who feel self-sufficient, who feel independent. Verse 7, Paul says of our passage, but we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. Here's the mistake we we make. We understand that to follow Jesus, we must embrace weakness. And as we embrace that, that weakness, and God lifts us with his power, we think that we become powerful. But the reality is that we remain weak. The Christian life is one that goes from weakness to weakness. We praise God in our weakness because in our weakness is where the power of God is most evident. So, what does it mean? What does that mean to embrace weakness as a way of life? Well, it means we can cease from seeking to enhance our own power, to improve our own position, to increase our reputation, to secure our interests. We can rest from all that. What would that be like? It means that we can start living into the reality that we must trust God. We must trust him with the material and the practical. We must trust him with our families and with our children. But also with our sanctification. With also the process of being made more like Jesus. That, that it's really true that he who began a good work in you will carry it through to completion. And that we have already received a righteousness that is not our own. We can trust him in that. That because of the righteousness of Christ, God is already pleased with us. And that this comes from God's heart for his weak and shattered clay pot children. Embracing weakness as a way of life means resting secure in the powerful work of God for us. And then pointing others to that power. It means, it means not thinking that we are anything other than a starving beggar. But that as starving bre- beggar, it's our job to bring other starving beggars to the bread of life. So we can rest in the truth of our own weakness. We can rest in the preserving strength of God's power. We had we had two trips to Lebanon with our our youngest when he was an infant, and and both were very very scary and very dangerous to him, and we almost lost him both times. Um, but one in my mind it was definitely more dramatic and scary than the other. But after the first hospital stay, we got home and we we kind of. Tried to get into that rhythm of of a newborn baby, and I remember getting into that rhythm was hard, just doing the normal struggle of having a, a, a new baby in the house like but there was definitely relief at being home, and there was definitely some rest going on after that time but But then just seven days later, uh, we were back in the hospital, and it was it seemed to be even worse than before and but after we came home from the hospital the second time at least for me anyway it took a long time before we could stop watching him like a hawk right and i even every every time he was fussy or wouldn't eat i i was there with my stethoscope like i bought a stethoscope on amazon and i put the things in my ears and i held the little thing up to his heart and you've ever had tried to use a stethoscope on a newborn baby um like good luck uh but I tried because I was trying to count his heartbeat and make sure I knew what his heart rhythm was, that it wasn't too fast. And why was it so hard? Well, there's lots of reasons, but one of the reasons was that we lived two and a half hours away from Labonner Hospital. And that was the place where the people with the expertise and the tools and the ability and the power. To save his life were we can rest because in Christ we are always in the presence of god 's surpassing power. The power of God surpasses it 's far greater than our need it, it protects us and it preserves us in our weakness and in our weariness. It may not keep us from feeling overwhelmed, but it keeps us from actually being overwhelmed in the real sense. For Paul, what this meant was beatings, persecution, being stoned, for, left for dead, and dragged out the, of the city. It meant shipwrecks and being arrested. It meant this mysterious thorn in his flesh that he talks about in 2 Corinthians 12. But then also in 2 Corinthians 12 and verse 10, Paul says, For the sake of Christ then, I am content with weakness, insults, hardships, persecutions, calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Where do you feel it? Where does that weakness touch you and your life is, is it the exhaustion and frustration at a workplace where there's too much work to do and not enough people to do it? And, or is it feeling like a failure as a parent because your, your family just, they just won't get with your agenda? Um, how dare they? And maybe you know you've wronged somebody, but you just can't find the, the words or the opportunity to apologize. Or, or maybe you're just you're lonely you're lonely and you're you're paralyzed because relationships have never been easy for you but they feel different and a lot harder today than they did 3 years ago how are we to find rest in the surpassing power of god well paul paul gives us four paradoxes in verses 8 and 9 that that he uses to describe what it's like to live in the middle of the overwhelm and find rest He says, we are afflicted in every way, but not crushed, perplexed, but not driven to despair, persecuted, but not forsaken, struck down, but not destroyed. One of the commentators I read said it this way, and I liked it, uh, squeezed, but not squashed, bewildered, but not befuddled, pursued, but not abandoned, knocked down, but not knocked out. And as we look at that list of things in there that Paul lists for us, I see there's like this intensification going on uh, in both the negative side of things and the positive side of things. And in each one, the, the threat and the comfort gets closer and more concrete. God's preserving power is constantly surpassing each one of these trials, each one of these things that we are... We are afflicted and perplexed and persecuted and struck down, sometimes all in the space of one lunch break, right? But we are not crushed. We are not driven to despair or forsaken or destroyed. when we're in the middle when we're when we're resting in or seeking rest in the middle of the overwhelm it's it's easy to feel like we're surrounded it's easy to feel like we're perplexed or we're being haunted or even hunted and and being knocked flat by troubles and stress and and threats the pressure to perform (laughs) do you feel that one To be the spouse you think you should be, to be the employee you think you should be, to be the, the obedient child or the good student that you think everybody is expecting you to be, or to be the Christian you think God is expecting you to be, or you're expecting you to be. When you slip or fall or just don't live up, you fear to feel that absence of love that that's what you feel the most, the absence of God's love, the disappointment that others must feel in you. That's the lie. One of the things that God has accomplished in his surpassing power is that he has made you his beloved child. His power which surpasses and overwhelms the overwhelm is the power of his redeeming love. It's the power of his knowing you perfectly and loving you completely. It's his secure, unconditional love that you can't sin your way out of. It's the surpassing power of the life of Christ at work in you. So how, how do we rest in the life-giving power of Jesus? In 2001, I heard, the, I heard uh, uh, Brian Haybiggs, one of my favorite preachers, use this illustration. And so I stole it from him, but first I went online and I found the news article that it was based on. So I did my own little thing with it. But in 2001, there's a Mardi Gras celebration in Seattle. And I didn't know that Seattle had Mardi Gras, but they also have riots that go along with their Mardi Gras celebrations, especially if the year is 2001. And so the, the Mardi Gras had gotten out of hand, and this mob was, was rioting, and there was a, a young woman or, or there that the mob was threatening and, and about to do her harm, and a young man by the name of Chris Keim uh, saw this woman being attacked by this mob and ran to help her. and then the mob turned on him, and he was, was hit over the head with a bottle and knocked unconscious and, and kicked repeatedly. And, and apparently, the whole thing was caught on on video, and that night, uh, Rick Allison was staring, was sitting at home watching the news watching this footage of Chris Keim being beaten by this, this mob. And, and Rick Allison's heart went out to Chris. He saw that he had a head injury, and he knew that that was, that was never good. And he, Rick prayed a little prayer for Chris's recovery as he watched the news. And unfortunately, Chris never woke up, and he, he died from his injuries Well, then the phone rang at Rick Allison's house and Rick's wife answered and Rick heard uh, from the back room her exclaim, and I'll quote, Oh my God, oh my God, oh my God, not taking the Lord's name in vain, but a a cry of thankfulness because Rick's lungs, which were ravaged, ravaged by pulmonary fibrosis, he was dying and he needed a, a lung transplant. And Chris Keim was an organ donor, and Rick was to receive his lungs. And so Rick uh, at one point exclaimed, I've got hero lungs. <laughs> but five people in all benefited from Chris's tragic death lungs, heart, pancreas, left and right kidneys, and somehow Chris's mother got all the recipients together and threw a big dinner for them. And they were all there. And, and of course, her mother wanted to do things like listen to Chris's heartbeat inside the chest of this organ recipient, this man that received her son's heart. And she did that. And Chris's sister had a friend with her and she brought her friend around. And as she's introducing her friend to the organ recipients, she's, she's introducing them as this is pancreas and this is left kidney and this is lungs And here's what Rick's dad said, Ken Kime, he said, they have helped me through my grief, realizing what a wonderful, wonderful gift my son has given. And And I'm more proud of him every day, which I never thought would be possible. And I keep thinking that Chris's love continues. Verse 10, always carrying in the body the death of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. When the struggles in life and the struggle against sin seem crushing and perplexing, like, like struggle is an enemy that is, that is waiting in ambush for you, threatening to destroy you by, by throwing your own weakness And guilt back at you, you have a Savior whose death brought you to life. That He took your dead heart and transplanted it with His perfect heart. And now you will never die, you can never be crushed. When the world seems upside down, God's perfect, powerful, surpassing love for you is your compass. When there seems to be a trap at every side, God never abandons you. He's your shield. Even when it feels like the foundations have been removed, you will never be destroyed. This is true. It's true not because God's surpassing power makes you strong, makes you able to rescue yourself. Rather, God is using your weakness to demonstrate his strength. His surpassing power to rescue and redeem His weak people. It's His righteousness at work in you. His spirit at work in you. His strength at work in you. Shaping you. Conforming you. Bringing you more into alignment with the image of Christ. It's Him working within us. That we... We work as believers we can we, we contribute to our sanctification, we, we, we try to live in obedience, but where does that effort end us up? <laughs> Usually at the foot of the cross, asking God to forgive us, recognizing more and more the weakness of even what we would consider our strength, and leaning again in total rest and reliance upon our status as beloved children of God. Jesus said, come to me, you weak and weary ones, and I will give you rest for your souls. Come to Jesus. We're about to come and celebrate his redeeming love, his surpassing power as we come to this table, recognizing That Jesus offered Himself up as a sacrifice for us. Jesus became weak for us so that in Him, in Him, we might find the surpassing power of God to redeem. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, We thank you for your mercy to us. We thank you for your goodness to us through Christ. We thank you that each week we have a picture of of your mercy and love and grace and power to save. That each week we come to this table and celebrate the broken body and shed blood of our Lord Jesus Christ. That he who knew no sin became sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Lord, help us to remember that this morning as we come to this table and we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.